Welcome to the Coin World Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. And as I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Coin World Podcast. I'm Jeff Stark. And I'm Larry Jewett. So glad to be here and be a part of this as we now enter the month of May. And this week's episode of the Coin World Podcast is sponsored by the Royal Mint. To commemorate the transfer of power, the Royal Mint has issued the first crown coinage portrait of His Majesty the King. Learn more at royalmint.com or in our interview in just a little bit. I can't wait to hear that. I mean, because this is something that, you know, many, many people never had this happen in their lifetime. I mean, you can't say that enough. And it's just a significant significant activity here and it's just i can't wait to hear the interview here and especially i know that we already looked at the types of coins that are offered here by the royal mint and i'm sure that my wife wants to add them to her collection oh yeah we'll get into all the the cool stuff that the royal mint has come out with for the coronation in just a bit there's so much stuff i know you you've been a customer of the mint before directly i've bought new royal mint product at shows in london I have my circulating 50 pence with the uncrowned portrait of Charles III. I can't wait to get my crowned portrait of Charles III on the new 50p. You'll hear all about that in a bit, though. I think probably before we get into all of that stuff and our history and all that, we need to talk about central states. You know, I lied to you. I closed, well, I didn't close the show, but I I said in the last program I wasn't going to be at Central States, and lo and behold, I got almost arm-twisted into going. It was only, after all, a tank of gas to get there and a tank of gas back. So I made an appearance, and I had a great time. We, We thank all those folks who came to the booth. I know you might have kept track. It it seemed like there was at least six or, or ten folks who wanted to meet us and talk to us and say uh, mostly good things. I think all good things about the show. And we thank you for that. I'm sorry for lying to you. Didn't mean to do that on purpose, but I had a blast. I found some cool stuff. I found a Boston poultry medal for our friend of the podcast and, and, and originator, Chris Bullfinch. And I got some 1792 French coins, what was happening in 1792 in France and the U.S. Those are kind of special and neat, even though they're dark chocolatey brown and not, you know, not the greatest condition. They're they're nice, but, you know, these these aren't several hundred dollar rarities. These were like seven or ten bucks a piece. It was that's what I love about world coins. They're so accessible and there's there really is history in your hands. And the idea, we I took my wife to the show. She helped me with some of the photos, and she was also working on her collection. She made some purchases from our good friend, PFC Irvin. But I just got to thinking about this. We didn't buy anything domestic. Everything was from other countries. I added to my birth year world coin collection from Australia and Haiti. She added to her collection. I picked up a note from Canada. She picked up a couple of notes. So, I mean, it was just like... It was wonderful for her to experience her first Central State show and my second. And your guidance was definitely appreciated. I was able to buy a book off of you, too. So (laughs) it was just great meeting the people, especially want to give a shout out to Eric Kibbe and the work that he's doing, the formation of the Richmond Club there in Indiana. So we try to get more information about that in the episodes upcoming so that we can learn more about that. I mean, the taking the initiative, I mean, back in the day, when the numismatics was a little bit different. I mean, it was one thing to start a club, but now to hear of a club being formed in the 21st century like this was a a welcome change. So it's just like great to hear that there are those who are taking the initiative to help further this hobby along. And you mentioned PFC. It was great pleasure to meet him and his friend. And I mean, I've met him before, but to see them and I bought a a silver round for my uncle. I took that as we're recording. I took that out last night to give to my uncle and he was just thrilled to death with it. Not to leave my aunt out. I gave her a book on Route 66, but no, it's really, really cool. The PFC Irvin was up in the collector's coin showcase, I think is what they called it. The room on the second floor. And there, there certainly was mixed reaction to that. 
I like the concept. I certainly was expecting, like many folks were expecting, a much bigger turnout for that. And I'm thinking if they can fine tune that and add that, especially for the last day of the show, the Sunday, that would be a good draw because, you know, weekend attendance for the, I don't even say the casual hobbyist, you know, so many folks, the weekends are only time to get to a show, right? And, you know, if you're, if you're a, you know, attuned to the nine to five clock or whatever, and, and heck, there's so many folks who are working a, a second shift, a, a, you know, swing shift, an overnight or whatever, if you're, you know, talking about somebody in nursing or this or that. So th there's, there's, it's important to have that the show's vibrant on the weekends, but I understand any dealer who is touring the national circuit as so many do, and they've gotten in on Monday or Sunday before, and they want to go home and be with their family, which is of course important. So it's a tension that has been around for a while and is certainly not going anywhere, but the collector's coin showcase was, was a nice way to maybe address that in the future. And certainly it gave some folks a chance to be at the show and get the residual benefits, or some of them anyway, and reach a central state's audience. Yeah, and I hope many had the opportunity to go up there and spend some time up there. And that was where Bob Julian, a former podcast guest, was up there with his wonderful drawings that he has too. And that's just like, you know, just getting a chance to spend some time and not be lost among the 600 tables that were down there in the in the main room. So, I mean, it's good and there's bad. Depends on what you're getting into. Some will say because, you know, a lot of travel's involved because there are so many people coming from faraway places that they had to get back and had to get ready for. I mean, because a lot of the people can't travel on Sunday because they have to be at work on Monday and they yeah. need the time to catch up with. I mean, you can hear there are several sides to the story. And you can hear what that that may be. But the attempt to make this, I mean, some call this the best central states they've ever attended. And some put it in their top five. And you know, not everybody's totally happy about that. But depending upon what your incentive was for going to it, certainly it's, it became a must-see for us. And we're glad that we took part in it. And especially glad that you could make it after an hour or two of telling everybody you weren't going to be there, then all of a sudden you show up. And I was going to go have it announced at the message center that you were there, but uh, they, they realized that. Surprise, it's a boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I Definitely. like uh, I like doing that little line because it, it, you know, it was a surprise, certainly for several folks, but. Just uh, can't keep you away from a coin show, can we? No, I mean, you know, I, the, the night before I was at a coin club meeting and then you know, I get back and already looking at the next coin thing that I can I can do. I, it was great to meet Bob Julian, as you say. And of course, we saw PFC Irvin. We saw several, several folks who've been on the show before and several folks that we want to get on the show. So all in all, fantastic time. You know, <laughs> you mentioned some of the people that are sort of lost on the floor out there. I was looking through the program, which, of course, was notable for the cover image. Uh, but I was <laughs> yes. looking through the program and there were so many folks that were in the program that I just I didn't see. And it wasn't because they weren't there. It was because I somehow missed them. I didn't you know, ideally, I would go up and down each, you know, the 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 OCD in me, small though it may be, wants to just go see every booth and everything and you just can't do that. And at some point I was just like, okay, I got to give up this idea of trying to see everybody and everything. There were people I walked right by and didn't have time to stop and say hello. So I, I felt bad about them, but that, you know, not seeing them, but boy, it was, it was fun. But, you know, we talked to several folks who were involved at the club level. And I think club development is, is a, an important topic, and, and maybe we can explore that in the coming months. But it also jumps out to me that there was a, a notable event or, or interesting event, let me say, not maybe not notable, but certainly interesting event from a club standpoint in, this week in numismatic history. We're going to May 5th, 1942, which was, of course, you know, what was happening in the world in 1942. Well, because of World War II and a bronze shortage, the Rochester Numismatic Association President's Medal was made of plastic. Now, 
you know, that's not going to ever be on the sort of annals of numismatic history as a milestone. But I thought, how interesting and cool is that, that there's plastic metal out there? I know for the 1876 American Centennial, there were some metals made on wood. There's some gutta percha, which is like a resin type thing. I mean, there, there's some interesting alloys, if you will, interesting compositions of medallic pieces out there. Plastic is an uncommon one for sure. Also that day, but in 1973, the North Georgia College's Dahlonega Mint Gold Coin Collection opened for public viewing. Boy, wouldn't I love to get there some point and see that. I think you would as well, Larry. And unfortunately, can't go to a little dive bar in Dahlonega because the Crimson Moon is closed. That's a reference for country music fans. Anyway, that was what's happening in this week in numismatic history. Well, before we step into what was happening in this week in Coin World history, let's remind you that our sponsor this week is none other than the Royal Mint, and they've been among the many who are preparing for a big event that takes place this weekend at Westminster Abbey. That's right, the much-anticipated crowning moment is upon us. His Majesty King Charles III will be crowned the new king. Join the Royal Mint as they celebrate this historic moment with the introduction of the Coronation Coin Collection now available at royalmint.com. The Royal Mint has struck a collection of new commemorative coins and curated sets to mark the occasion. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to own a piece of history. This collection has already begun to sell out, so I encourage you to visit their website quickly to learn more. You can find out more at royalmint.com, and make sure you stay tuned, because we're going to be talking folks from the Royal Mint coming up here in just a matter of a few moments, that you can find out more about what you can buy, what you can obtain, by visiting royalmint.com. So let's go back a few years and honor Queen Elizabeth II, the predecessor to the soon-to-be coronated king, King Charles III. How about like 2002? Pretty significant year, wasn't it? Well, sure, yes. And I have to ask, did I hear you say His Majesty? You know, when I came to CoinRoll, I used that verbiage in a story not long after. And our our colleague, Bill Gibbs, t told me, reminded me, take that out. We, we, we fought a war, so we didn't have to say that. <laughs> so I think that's very funny in, in light of all this. We are, I'm certainly an Anglophile, and I'm looking forward to this big moment in history. But uh, I I had to make reference to that moment from well, almost, almost 20 years ago. And you have more to than... understand. You have to understand that I'm married to someone who was born in London. Yes, I know. I know. I learned I learned that at the show, which explains the all the British coins you guys like. So there you go. no, in 2002, that was when Queen Elizabeth celebrated the 50th anniversary of her. Um, accession to the throne, right? So in 1952, she joined, became queen, and the following year there was a coronation. Just as Charles became king last year, and the coronation is this year. It's it's a big to do, and so they need a lot of time, lead time to to prepare. So we're looking at the May 6, 2002 issue of Coin World for this week in Coin World history. I couldn't help but notice that there was a story inside. It's not, you know, in the, the, you know, with through the lens of history, it wasn't consequential like maybe some of these others were, but it, it has some application for the recently concluded Central States show. And the headline reads, A&A penalizes dealers for early departures from show. Uh, second deck, dealers must pay $1,000 or lose future tables. So this is the first I am hearing of it. The ANA was threatening that dealers would have to pay an early departure fee for each table they had at the convention in Jacksonville that March. That's the spring or winter ANA, as some people call it. Now it's called the National Money Show. And they were also going to penalize folks leaving the New York City show, the, the World's Fair of Money in New York City that year and the National Money Show in Charlotte, North Carolina in 2003, which was just weeks before I, I joined staff, and a couple months before I joined staff as an intern at CoinWorld. So 
I, I was not aware of this. I presume that it did not go over well with dealers and it was maybe quickly scrapped. I certainly, as we mentioned before, understand the frustration of a collector going to a show and seeing half of the tables empty. I will throw this caveat out there though. A lot of those folks who whose tables are empty, they're wholesale dealers, they might be high-end dealers, they, you know, I don't know everyone's collecting budget. It's not my place to say, but I guarantee you, you're going to find something cool at one of the other tables. I mean, I always find something cool at Alan Berman's table at a show, and he always, he insists on staying until the end. That is sort of, you know, he, he that's part of his personal ethic that you know, I said I, we would be here at the show for this time, and I'm going to be here. And he always has cool stuff in the world context, and it's all you know almost universally affordable. And he's by no means the only one, so it is frustrating. But but by golly, by gosh, focus on the the good ones that are there. And uh, you know, I have never failed to find something to buy on a show at a show on the last day. It's always one of those cases where we focus on the negative and the ones who do the job, the ones who show up all the time seem to get no attention because, you know, everybody's focusing on trying to make the situation better, the things that they're already doing. And we've had some discussions about that is like, you've got to give, there's got to be some kind of loyalty bonus or something, something in a more positive way. Uh, you know, in the racetrack world, it's just like if you show up, you know, you have perfect attendance for every night that your division races, there's usually a little bit extra in there for you. So that gives them some incentive to actually do that. Not sure if that would work. Not sure how it could work in this community. But the idea, I mean, that you see some of these people that you can count on them to be in there at the end. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's, you know, that's really helpful. So that's interesting there. The yeah. letters on this particular issue seem to focus more on the Sacagawea quote-unquote golden dollar situation. So I've got a couple of those to take a look at right now. First one is embracing change. I find it hard to believe the current Sacagawea golden dollar situation. Production being suspended because of lower demand sounds like a bureaucratic cover-up to me. Coin itself enjoys widespread acceptance with the general public main problem is the banks aren't making an effort to get the coins into circulation. Therefore, people hang on to the coins they do encounter. With a billion two thousand coins and over 88 million 2001 coins produced, people should be seeing Sacagawea dollars in daily transactions. Until people do see them daily, the tendency to hoard them will continue. The failure hasn't been with the coin, but in the governmental entities that should have been monitoring the promotion and distribution of the new coin. Steps to encourage the dollar coin use should have been implemented as soon as resistance from the banks was encountered. I wonder if the banks would suddenly embrace the Sacagawea dollar if the Federal Reserve discounted the coin a penny or two. Sacagawea dollars for 96 cents each or paper dollars for a dollar apiece. Which do you think the banks would then order? It's the cost of getting a new program jump-started. But then there's another one, another letter that follows that. Just equally as interested in that is, it starts off, men don't spend. The April 22nd Coin World has several articles pertaining to the Sacagawea dollar as well as an editorial. I still think you missed the point about the failure of this coin to circulate. In my experience, men don't like to carry change. Don't spend change, spend currency, and lay aside the change they receive. Men carry wallets, which then hold currency, credit cards, and photos. Wallets do not hold coins. Coins are heavy and damage fine trouser pockets. The Anthony dollar did not circulate, again, because men do not choose to carry coins if there is an alternative, i.e. paper currency. Nor will the Sacagawea or any other coin circulate that duplicates currency that is more convenient. The Sacagawea dollar evidences government ineptitude in producing a coin in the first place. How many surveys were taken to see if the coin would be used? Thankfully, the coin has finally bit the dust. Second letter from Bonner Mills of Charlotte, North Carolina. First letter from H.E. Milliken. Address withheld. 
got to thinking about that, except for the idea that I'm trying to get more of these state quarters to write. I set the change aside. So there's some there's some credence to that theory right there. Yeah, I know that makes total sense. I know that, you know, my international travels, I've been fortunate to see around the world how pocket change is, is handled differently, you know, in the UK, where we're, you know, our interview subject we're talking about, they have a one pound coin. So that's worth about a dollar of 25 US. And they have a two pound coin, 250 US. So there's when you force the the usage people people are fine with it and you you develop ways to minimize the change you know you you turn around and spend those extras the next time you're buying something instead of using a a, a banknote so but and it, it certainly is nothing that vexes me at all i i enjoy using one euros two euros the one pound two pound all those equivalent type coins so Certainly, you don't want them piling up in your pockets. So that's that's this week in Coin World history. Now I think it's time to put you to the test. Last episode, I asked you about one of the Barber Boys and some famous designs of, I believe it was Charles Barber. He designed coins for several countries, and I asked which countries he designed coins for. I also ask you if you could explain the suite of coins. That was a bonus answer. And this there's a tie to the United States. So do you have any idea to what I am referring? Not really, but you know, part of me kind of wonders if maybe it has something to do with the Philippines. But you, I mean no. am I right or am I wrong? You are close but wrong okay so <laughs> i and and close is a relative term you have a good thought process there that you know it's a it's a place that had your u.s influence or that the u.s influenced right but we're actually thinking about hawaii oh yeah that's and, right and so there was there were four coins dated 1883 they are, and I guess it was William Barber who did these. I, no, it was Charles Barber. Anyway, the dime, the quarter or quarter dollar, the half dollar and the dollar. These are all very popular and famous. In fact, I was, before the episode, I'm, I bumped something on my desk when I found a, a quarter, Hawaiian quarter that I had bought last fall in, in VF. So, you know, it it's a very popular series because of that American connection, right? So that was the that was the trick. Maybe it was a trick question. This is not a trick question for sure. Because we're talking about the coronation, I want to go back to a past uh, royal event and hone in on, you know, the story of Edward VIII is one that has always fascinated me. And he abdicated for love, Wallace Simpson, who was an American, incidentally. Well, because he abdicated so long after becoming king, there had been a whole bunch of work done in creating coins for him, but none were officially released in Britain. However, because the Commonwealth is what it is, there were several coins released elsewhere with his name, not his image, but his name. Name at least two of the four versions or options, I should say, uh, and preferably from different countries. So there's there's three countries represented. There's four coins total. Name two of those four coins and two of the three countries. So this is a expert level question i've seen these coins and own some of these coins and they're always fun to come across because of that story it's it's such a neat thing and especially if you're a an anglophile it's especially important of course if you're an anglophile you really have to stay tuned for our interview right in just seconds with two officials from the royal mint Chris Barker of the museum and Rebecca Morgan, director of collector services. Here is that interview. 
The Coin World Podcast is delighted today to be joined by Rebecca Morgan, Director of Collector Services at the Royal Mint, and Chris Barker, Information and Research Manager at the Royal Mint Museum. Thank you so much for being here today, both of you. Pleasure. Thank you for having us. And of course, the, the big reason that you are here today is because there's kind of a there's kind of a big deal going on in <laughs> the United Kingdom these days. As as this episode drops, we're just a few days away from the first coronation since 1953. And of course, a coronation means new coins. So I, I guess I want to talk, ask Rebecca first, when did planning for the new coins of the new king begin? And, and can you walk us through that process? So if you're referring to the coronation, the planning started just a couple of weeks after the sad passing of her late majesty. The there's a period of mourning after the death of a monarch. So there were two weeks of mourning and then we started work on everything we'd need to do to be able to facilitate a change of monarch because the Royal Mint has played a constitutional role in this process since Alfred the Great and have, has seen every change of monarch since then. So we have a very constitutional role to fulfill as well as that of the, the collector coins. And and so that's coronation coins. Let's Let's get back even into... The earlier than that, because the, there was a new effigy that debuted last fall by Martin Jennings, and that's not something. I mean, I, I know today coin coin design processes much much quicker than it was the last time there was a monarch change. But when when did work begin on that? That had to be something that was sort of in the wings waiting. Well, we routinely develop portraits for members of the royal family all of the time. So I mean, they mark key occasions on coins such as birthdays or anniversaries, etc. We had one for Prince William's 40th. So and we don't recently had one for King Charles 70th birthday, which obviously he is 74 at the moment, about to turn 75. So we've constantly got in development portraits for members of the royal family, sort of a rolling thing. So really the work began, you know, obviously, as soon as we found out about the sad passing of Her Late Majesty, then we began in earnest to to refresh and update what we needed to do in order to have that effigy ready. Wonderful. Now, I, I have to ask Chris for some historical perspective. Is is the way things being handled now, is that different than in the past? Or is was that something, because I, I remember in covering, you know, say some of the, the 1933s penny and all that mm. thing, there, there's, there was always a design process that took months in in the past, that's why you have no no proper coins of Edward the Eighth except for the you know the Fiji and whatever else. There's there's yeah. New Guinea and all that that don't even have his head, but they reference his name, right? So is that something different? And and if so, when did that shift change? And if not, maybe talk about how, how there's some similarities. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, yeah, and and you're right. There are there there are both similarities and differences between what we're doing now and what we've done in the past. If you look at what the mint has done, certainly in the 20th century and, and 19th century particularly, there's always been sort of an unwritten rule trying to get ready the the new monarch's coinage in time for their coronation. It, it's no hard. It's not written down anywhere. It's it's not certainly not hard and fast. But that tends to have been the aim of the mint in the past. I think this time round as well with preparing the effigy, the, the key difference between now and say previous reigns is the commemorative coin market. So the commemorative coin market, like Rebecca was just saying, has meant that we often are producing commemorative coins that mark specific key royal occasions, which require us to have these portraits of the royal family and royal family members in development. And that does give us a bit more flexibility when it comes to producing the new monarch's portrait. As with the king's 70th birthday being, you know, four, four years ago, it gives you that sort of flexibility to be able to adapt and refresh something that is already in the in the workings to a degree because of the nature of what we do here at the Royal Mint with commemorative coin. That's very different to say, 1953, where there isn't this as strong a commemorative coin market as, as there is now, particularly for other members of the royal family. So that tends to lead you down the direction we went to this year, well, last year rather, for the development of the new Uncrown portrait, 
But when you look at, say, the coronation range of coins, that is also different to what we've done in the past, because in the past, yet again, with the with the development of the commemorative coin market, that sort of stands aside from some of what we've done previously, where you tended to get coronation medals for sale to the public as opposed to commemorative coins. That sort of really kicks off with the last, you know, Queen Elizabeth II and her coronation crown piece. And we're following through with that now into a commemorative range of coins for the coronation for King Charles III. So you have got these these contrasts and differences which reflect the way society and also the growth of the commemorative coin market has changed the way we operate here. Uh, that was an interesting point about the the usage of metals back in the day and and so yeah. and and now there there's a switch to commemorative coins. I I hadn't thought about commemorative medals for 1953 but of course the crown is you know the the standard standard bearer if you will from that event Th- this time around there's yeah. there's something like 20 plus products for the coronation let's let's broadly explore the array of coins that are celebrating this this event miss morgan you you just announced earlier this week or, or la- late last week well, I guess when this airs, it'll be a couple of weeks ago. But there, there's it. It sounds like there are three different designs, uh, reverse designs being used, plus the strike on the day sovereign. Plus, you have a crowned portrait of a crowned effigy of the new king. Can you talk about what those three designs are? There's Westminster Abbey. There's a coronation regalia, royal arms and flowers, and and how they were chosen for different products. And, and what the intent is there. And, and maybe this is too big of a question, but we can we can modify it as, as we go. <laughs> that was a large question. You were doing a great job yourself, Jeff, of describing the range anyway. But so the difference, as Chris has just alluded to, the, the market and, and the growth of coin collecting generally has meant that there are different customers to, to service in this area, but also this is a national celebration for Britain. So people who don't even collect coins generally usually want to mark the occasion and they do choose, you know, coins is, is one of the the things they choose to do that with. So we've got a broad range starting from a very accessible base metal, 50 pence and a crown. As you've said, the crown has been used for centuries to to mark the the royal events. You know, it's become the sort of royal collectible for for royal for royal occasion. So the crown is obviously in there and, and then the 50 pence, which is is pretty much the iconic coin when it comes to collecting in, in Britain, particularly for people who are getting into collecting or are not you know gold collecting uh, buyers so the 50 pence the important thing here is that we have a, a range that is accessible to all uh, to everyone who wants to mark the occasion so it starts as you say from the 50 pence base metal which is very accessible at a very accessible price and that design is an abstract of Westminster Abbey by Natasha Jenkins mm-hmm. and then we also have the cipher the new cipher of King Charles III on this so really fitting obviously Westminster Abbey is where the coronation will take place and the cipher of the new king. And that design is on the 50 pence through all the metals right up to gold, but also will be available and going into circulation here in Britain. So people who even don't want to collect buy the coin at the moment can collect it in their change further later on this year. And then we go into the ounce range, which is generally what our collector, sorry, the five pound crown, first of all, is beautiful design by Timothy Node with the St. Edward's crown, a really beautiful design of that on there. And again, lots of people will be looking to commemorate the event with a five pound crown, given the, the sort of stature it has in marking royal events. And then you've got the ounce range, which a lot of our collectors like to collect in ounces. It's it's a coin denomination that means that you can have a consistent collection across the world. We know lots of different countries use ounces as well for their commemorative coins. So a lot of collectors, particularly international collectors, come in for the ounce range. And that is a really stunning design by John Bergdale of the Royal Arms and and flowers in a really intricate design. So something for everyone in terms of, of all of the, the designs that are available. I personally like all three of them. It's really hard to choose. I think it's very striking. The, the St. Edward's crown is very striking. And then the Strike of the Day Sovereign is obviously the traditional and the dragon design but all of the all of these coins have the crowned effigy on the obverse which is 
a huge a huge deal for collectors because this is the first time they will have seen the king crowned and his his standard circulating coinage and all of the coins will have the uncrowned effigy as is traditional and this is the first time you'll see the crowned effigy and I suspect the last time for quite a while as this will only be used to mark significant royal events and there are not many of those coming up in the next couple of years. And one of those one of those coins that will have the crowned effigy is the 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 small number the gold sovereigns that are actually going to be struck on coronation day may 6 now who who drew the short straw and has to come in to work on that day <laughs> there'll be several people that come in that day to strike those coins and make sure that everything is perfect for the strike on the day sovereign absolutely you know really sought after it was sold out almost immediately yeah. on our website and really special because they will be struck of course on coronation day and this and with the crowned obverse so really really spectacular coin there are, will be several people who will have drawn the short store but we will make sure that they have a, a celebration here as well and they'll be able to we'll screen the, the coronation around the, the floor when these people are striking the coins but we have fantastic staff so we're very lucky i i i will i'll get back to one aspect of that in a minute but i have to i have to ask you know 1250 mintage for that thing why not 2023 wouldn't that be a you know there, there's oftentimes not numerology but you know there, there's a connection with the the mintage number two you know the the date of the the year date of the event i i can't imagine you couldn't have sold you know another thousand almost um, yes <laughs> at least yes and i think you know it's, it's a really important question you've asked there and, and absolutely we do love to to connect our mintages to the significant the significance of a year or an age or anything else we can relate it to because we, we do enjoy the that but really importantly for collectors and, and strike on the day sovereign is a collectible you know this is not somebody who's just coming to market occasion generally these are people who co- sovereign collectors and they want the the most special of the sovereigns that they can have and Really importantly, mintage, it, it can make or break a market for our collectors. And it's really important that we don't just set the mintage to the amount we think we could sell because then they would always be really, really high. And now collectors won't be very happy with us because, you know, we, people, well, you will know, collectors like to own something nobody else has. So with the the range of mintages across, it was, like you said, there's a significant amount of coin available across the range here. We just ha- had to be very careful not to do too many of each coin and, and then ruin that sort of... The, how special it is for our collectors so absolutely then there's no way of getting it right jeff i'll tell you that is an art not a science you'll either have always do too many or too few but perhaps we should have gone with 2023 and and collectors are keen to share their thoughts about that regardless of whether which direction they think you went Yes, they're absolutely, like I said, we'll never get it right. So collectors, the one thing about collectors is they want you to produce a coin so that they can always have one, but nobody else can have one. So it's always impossible to to service the each collector in the way they'd like. Everyone wants it to be a low mintage, but be able to also secure one for themselves. So it's a, it's a balancing act that we need to do all the time. It's like, it's like the quality of coins. Everyone wants a empty, but they don't want anyone else to have one. So it's it's very much like I said, an art, not a science. And and we never seem to a hundred percent get it right by everybody. But we have a, a big team here that do a fantastic job of trying to get it in in the sweet spot as often as we can. So that begs a question for Chris because Mr. Barker, your your task with managing, I guess, historic assets, as it were, mm-hmm. do do you does does the museum get one of those gold sovereigns to strike on the day? We do receive samples, yeah. So we do receive these. Our collection, our collecting policy has evolved as the range of commemorative coins that the mint produces has evolved as well. So these days, the, the, the mint obviously does a, a a large range of from of large size coins. You know, gold kilos and sometimes yeah. above kilo yeah, size. We can't have one of everything. We, we can't have one of those, unfortunately. No, <laughs> as much as we might like them. So we try and get representative samples of what the business is doing. But sadly, we can't always get the one of ones that go out the genuine one of ones that go out to collectors at fifteen kilo size, for example. So we we don't get the much larger size, but we do t- we do get representative samples of things such as strike on the day, which we add to the collection because it's an important part of the history of the mint. You want to have 
the sovereign that is struck on the day of the coronation. It will help tie in to how the collectors, collector coin business has evolved over time and to what we are producing and to what we are selling to customers. And equally, in years to come, they're also invaluable aids to authentication. So that's why we, it's important for us to have these objects to help with that in years to come if we ever are asked to authenticate, say, a strike on the day sovereign. And and I would think that having that record of what the Mint has done in the past can help inform future coin design. Was that at all at play in this process? And and you can, you know, fight each other to answer that. I'm not sure <laughs> it's more appropriate. But, you know, I couldn't help but notice that the Bergdahl design this time around for the, for the coronation, it reminds me a lot of the elements that are on that classic 53 coronation crown. There's always, I mean, Coming to the museum itself, one of the key fundamentals of why there is a collection at the Royal Mint Museum is to actually have a reference there for artists and designers to look back on great coin design of the past, to use that to draw inspiration for what they're doing today. And that was right at the start. That was how this was conceived right at the very beginning in the early 19th century when this collection was put together. And it still is very relevant today. So I still speak to designers on a regular basis about what we've got in the collection that touches in with design briefs that are very strongly numismatic in nature. So there are always these themes that run through. And a part of my job is to help designers to understand what those themes might be and, you know, to give them the material to inspire them to produce something something new. From my point of view, I, I don't want to see design static. What I'd like to see is design you know, really good design has a nod back to what's gone before, but evolves it and takes it on to another level. And that's what I want to see is we're doing what I think we're doing, certainly with the current range, is a nod back to what's happened previously, but taking it on and adapting it for a you know 21st century audience. And I think the 50p in particular is, 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 a, is a really good example of something that does that, where you've got this, this, this abstract design, but also with Bergdahl's work, you've got those references and nods back to, to 53 and the strong heraldic links that have gone before. So uh, yeah, hopefully we, uh, we, we will, like I say, we, as, as Rebecca says, it's, it's an art, not a science sometimes with designing coins and we do as, as good as we can. And apparently it's resonating well with the, the collecting population because so many of these products are already sold out. There's a, a writer for CoinWorld actually emailed me when, when the day of the, the, the coin came out and said, hey, did you, you know, I got up early to get on, to get online and, and buy my coins. Did you happen to? And, and it, it hadn't occurred to me, you know, that there, I mean, I know that the, this a lot of stuff you guys a lot of stuff period the Romans doing is selling out but I hadn't thought to get up early and and throw my hat in the ring if as it were so with a lot of these sellouts you know basically almost immediately is is that it are there more coins planned for the coronation or or you're gonna I mean you, you got your work cut out for you as far as striking and, and shipping this batch and and of course the coronation is a fever pitch, I would imagine, in the UK. Once it's passed, then interest may shift to the next great big thing, although it's hard to imagine what could top this for a news event this year. Absolutely. I mean, at one point we had 66,000 people queuing up on the website. So even if you'd gotten up early, Jeff, I think you might have still had a bit of a long wait ahead of you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they were extremely popular and there are, you know, future ranges, but you know, to be announced later on there's some bullion and historics are coming later on to pass the coronation but in terms of something top in this event like you said i don't think it will when we saw the platinum jubilee last year even though we sold out of the precious metals versions of the coins very very quickly given that was such a historic event as well the base metal coins continue to sell all year all year in fact right up to and including the weekend in which the her late majesty passed so they were we still see people coming in for platinum jubilee coins now and that i think that is the the, the 
testament to how much people like to mark such a historic occasion. And I think it'll be the same here. Most people in their lifetime won't have seen a coronation before in Britain. So it is a huge event. But there will be some come in. Uh, not that I can say anything about them yet. But this is obviously the, the main range that has been, been launched now as the coronation range. And, and just keep an eye on your emails and your website and the website for anything coming up in the future. And and thankfully, I can throw my hat in the ring for that kilo gold coin if I can just scrape up a $96,000 US. <laughs> the best $96,000 you've ever spent, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, but, but there's only 15, so. <laughs> Absolutely. Just, um, just to jump jump in there as well when it comes to demand i think one of the key things as well is is the role coinage and to to, to a wide extent medals play in this because if you look back historically the coinage has always been in significant demand in the year of a coronation it's peeps it's something people want to mark that event they see it as a very key driver you know as something they can keep from that year which has significance and meaning that will last well beyond, say, the usual bit of tat that you might get with the tea towel, for example, it has a meaning beyond something like that. And that's always been the case historically. There was a huge demand for the coronation crowns and the, the coinage of Elizabeth II during her coronation year. And I think it's a testament to what we do here that that demand still exists and has always existed. Absolutely. And, and I know it, it's something as accessible as the 50p and something as, you know, not unique, but certainly extremely, extremely rare, like that kilo gold coin with a limit of 15. To, to close this out... Jeff, oh, do you mind yeah. if I interrupt a second? Do you mind if you ask me that question again about what is coming up after this? Because I've just checked and I am allowed to say some of the things that are coming up. So I thought it might be better for your listeners. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, you have, we have all this focus on coronation stuff right now all these all these products sold out right away is there something else coming or is that sort of it for the coronation you know there's a lot of focus on the event and it seems maybe once the event passes there's you know people are moving on to the next thing Absolutely. I mean, this has been a hugely popular launch and that, you know, we've received such a popular response among collectors. But we are happy to say that the full Sovereign Collection, Coronation Sovereign Collection, will be launching later this year, as well as a range of Coronation Bullion coins. So there are some other things for people to look out to. If they missed out this time, there are some other things to look out for in the near future. Unfortunately, we can't share any specific details about the launches at this time, but we do share regular updates across our social media channels and you will be able to sign up on on the Royal website, you can sign up to register your interest and then you'll be amongst the first to know when any launches will come. Awesome. And so th that's a, a great thing to look forward to. I'm looking forward to on my next visit to the UK. I don't have one planned. I went twice last year. I was fortunate to be there for the Platinum Jubilee and that was by sheer happenstance. Um, oh, amazing. Yeah, I, I had just, in 2021, I had sort of, thrown a dart at the board metaphorically and said, I, I need something to look forward to. I want to go to London. I had a trip to London planned in March, 2020 that had to be canceled. And it turns out I picked the weekend <laughs> long. I, <laughs> and, and, and anyway, so, so my next time there, whether that's Coinex in September, I don't have that planned, but or whatever, when will I, when will residents and visitors start seeing the Westminster Abbey 50 P in circulation? Hopefully that coincides with my next visit. <laughs> <laughs> well, as soon as we get any details on that, Jeff, we'll let you know so you can plan around it. But right now it's just, it's, it's as demand is needed for coins in circulation. So we don't know an exact date yet. We just know later this year that they'll be going in. And then sometimes we only have a couple of weeks notice before we know that they're going to be going into circulation because it's, it's through demand, through cash centers. So, but when I get, as soon as I get wind of it, Jeff, I'll make sure that I send you a message so you awesome. can plan your trip around. And you should visit us as well at the Royal Mint. We'd be happy to have you here. I have been to the Royal Mint twice as I was talking to Mr. Barker before this. I got to meet him there, I think, four, five years ago. And that was, I think that coincided with a trip to Coinex. I've been to Coinex four times now, I think. Always love coming to the United Kingdom, love collecting coins of the United Kingdom, and I certainly have loved our discussion today. Thank you so much, both of you, for... Thank uh, you as well, Jeff. It's been fantastic. Real pleasure. Really happy to share. And, and uh, all eyes 
and, and ears will be focused on the Abbey and your fair aisles here in just a few days for the coronation, a major event, certainly, as you noted, the first in the lives of many, many watchers. So how appropriate that we could talk to you today. Thank you again. And, you know, we'll all be watching, I guess. We'll have to get up early again to watch that, at least over here in the U.S., <laughs> uh, to watch the events. I hope you enjoy. Thank you. And that was our interview with Rebecca Morgan, Director of Collector Services, and Chris Barker of the Royal Mint Museum. Wow, what a what a fun time. It wasn't so fun getting up at 4.30 in the morning, but I, I got finished with that interview and was jazzed that day. I was just it was like, oh, that was really cool. So I can understand that because uh, not being a part of that interview, I'm jazzed about it right now. I mean, there's a lot of great information in there. Boy, you know, this is fantastic. And we're really fortunate enough to be a, a part of this in some small way. And, and what a great, great feeling that is. So I want to thank the folks at the Royal Mint for stepping up and kind of squeezing down on this time, even though it was only you who had to bear it. I, I woke up 10 minutes after and so I thought I better not interrupt. So <laughs> conveniently, conveniently, anyway. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it, it was it's really fun. This is so such a big moment in time, and so so exciting to to be able to watch the coronation here in just a few days. Definitely. So I want to thank the Royal Mint once again for providing sponsorship for this week's episode. Now, remember, the Royal Mint is commemorating the historic coronation of King Charles III with the new coronation coin collection. To learn more about this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to own a piece of history, visit them at royalmint.com. Royalmint.com. Awesome. So, hey, what a what a barn burner of a show we things are moving right along. We need to get back to the print publication. You know, we do that as well for for those out there who listen to us. So there, there's always a lot of hats to wear, a lot of things to juggle, uh, which is such is life, right? So until next time, happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next week.